get full access to RFR only on Patreon. Become a member of the RFR Patreon community to get more Rebel Force Radio. Bonus shows and content are available right now only at patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. Rebel Force Radio presents Star Wars Influences. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Hey, Star Wars fans, Jimmy Mack here with you, and welcome back to Star Wars Influences. <sighs> Rebel Force Radio's <laughs> look at everything that inspired and contributed to the vision of Star Wars as we see it on the silver screen, along with the positive influence it has on fans worldwide. Positive. Joining me this month and every month is noted British film veteran, uh, Star Wars... Uh, Savant, <laughs> guru, um, big brother to Fun. us here. We're all in the big brother house with Paul Bateman, and uh, he's he is Paul Bateman, of course. Hey. <laughs> hey, everybody. Nice to be back. Yeah. It has been a while, and, uh, you know, some people say to me, hey, man, uh, I listen to Star Wars Influences, and it's basically the Paul Bateman show. I, there was, you know, it's just Paul talking about things. And, you know, I mean, but that's, that's, listen, I want everyone to understand that's the purpose of this show. When we record the regular Rebel Force Radio, Paul, you used to be on the, the regular podcast with us quite often, but over the years, we've shifted our recording time nowadays. I, I know a lot of people know back in the old days, Paul used to be on the regular show with us all the time, but we changed our recording times to much later in the evening so we could be with our families for dinner and everything. And uh, and so, unfortunately, we start recording at like 3 or 4 in the morning <laughs> in London, yep. so that really makes it Crazy hard. Clock. Yeah, makes it really hard for you, Paul. And I mean, quite honestly, the reason the show exists is because I want to hear what you think about Star Wars, both <laughs> past and present. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy to have you on this show because there's been so much that has been going down lately with the Han Solo, the young Han Solo film. Of course, there was the big director's shakeup, Lord and Miller out, Ron Howard in. And I just want to pick your, your mind on this a little bit because, let's face it, they are filming this movie about five minutes from your house. You're, you're no stranger to Pinewood. And uh, nice. I was just wondering if you've heard anything behind the scenes regarding the shakeup and, and what your personal opinion is of, of how everything went down. Well, I mean, I haven't really heard anything that's not been pl- plastered all over the net, Jimmy. So, you know, uh, there's always gossip, but uh, I tend to get my nose out of that. But, but uh, I mean, it, it just kind of feels like business as usual at the minute, you know, given the, the experience that seemed to go down at uh, when Rogue One was in development. So, um, I mean, it's surprising that it lands this late in the day. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think props to, to Kathleen Kennedy for having the guts to pull the trigger when she thought it was necessary i have every confidence in her to make the right decision i think that uh, she's earned our trust in that department after rogue one where i think i want you know i was among those voices kind of going we're doomed yeah. we're doomed we're doomed what's it's all with all yeah. gone wrong no, it'll never be right right you're preaching to the weeks, choir right <laughs> 800 weeks of pickups <laughs> it's gonna be terrible it's gonna be half war movie and half like disney frou-frou i don't i don't know anyway 
all those fears were uh, waylaid, weren't they, when they turned out an amazing movie. So I think, uh, you know, I'm avoiding going there for this one. And um, I have every confidence in the in the team they've got together for this. And, uh, you know, I wasn't really sure about the, 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 the guys that they had in in the first place. But, you know, I didn't. You know, so I wasn't like super excited about them. I wasn't worried about them. I was just kind of, well, let's wait and see. And, you know, I trusted um, the judgment of the people in charge to to pick the right people for the gig. I mean, they they know what they have in mind, you know. But the fact that, that, that they're now out of the picture and on Howard's in, I think, you know, that could turn out to be um, a really interesting development for the movie. I mean, the the main thing I was concerned about with this one was that I really, really wanted it to feel like early star wars in the same way that rogue one felt like uh early star wars so the fact that ron's involved means that that's probably much more likely to be the case because although um you know it's not necessarily a, an age thing because obviously gareth edwards is uh you know of a similar age to the to, to the two guys they had on hand but but uh I, th- I think the fact that ron was around when when uh, the first ones were being made and he was already in the business and he was a friend of George's and what have you, means that um, that's probably going to equip him pretty well to try and recapture some of the magic of the earlier earlier days of Star Wars, which I think is something that needs to be very present in the, in the Han Solo movies. Mm. I mean, how, how do you feel about it, Jimmy? Well, I've certainly talked a lot about how I feel about it on the last two episodes of Rebel Force Radio. Um, right, but, right, uh, right. you know, I'm, I'm maintaining a ton of optimism. I was, yeah. uh, I was optimistic about this project going into it, despite the mm. fact that Harrison Ford is being replaced by an unknown actor, uh, largely yeah. unknown, I should say. I mean, I know very little about Alden Ehrenreich. Um, Mm. And, uh, you know, there's just uh, there, there's reasons for me to be concerned, but I, I am trying to be very optimistic about this film. I got to admit, mm. I've always been a little concerned about the uh, choice of director because of the, the resume the yeah. guys had, you know, 21 Jump Street, uh, cloudy mm. with a chance of meatballs. I mean, you know, these <laughs> in the Lego movie. You yeah. Know, and, and they're all look, I'm sure they're all wonderful films. I, I've seen two of the three. I haven't seen 21 <laughs> right. Jump Street because um, mm-hmm. I wasn't a fan of the TV show, really. But yeah, um, me so I, I didn't see that one. But having two kids, I've obviously seen the uh, animated stuff they've done. And uh-huh. uh, I think it's fine, you know, and I'm also willing to have someone come in who doesn't have that sort of experience. I mean, look at Erwin yeah. Ir- Kirshner. I mean, look right. at look at his resume prior to Empire Strikes Back. There is nothing there that would indicate the guy could handle taking over the biggest franchise in Hollywood history, but he did. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I mean, the example I always saw it is as being miraculous is Peter Jackson and Lord of the Rings. You know, before that, all he, you know, he hadn't really made anything on that kind of level at all. And I, I mean, I, I just thought, who knew? You know, when I first heard about the fact that he'd be handling those movies, I was like, well, wait, what? The guy who does a really cheap horror flicks seriously mm-hmm. you know and then next thing you know he's you know he's pumping them out like clockwork and the huge successful blockbusters so i think that that kind of taught us that we really can't you know necessarily know um what somebody's capable of on the basis of a handful of movies you know i but, think it's uh, important that whoever they do have shows reverence to the source material yeah, and definitely. peter jackson certainly did with lord of the oh, rings yeah. the reports i'm hearing about lord and miller coming off the set are that they were trying to take star wars into a territory that might be like you know square peg round hole it's just not yeah, gonna work yeah. You know, I mean, it sounds like a Han Solo film that would like, you know, you'd be sitting there waiting for Leslie Nielsen to pop up and say, don't call me Shirley. You know, I mean, it's yeah. it, it just seems like that's sort of the vibe I was getting, you know. And of course, yeah. someone threw out that Jim Carrey 
comparison that Alden's well, character was acting like Ace Ventura. Oh, yeah, that's scary. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, we, we never know what you can believe, do you, from these sort of situations. The one that was a red flag for me was that the, 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 there was, you know, there were cheers at Ron Howard's arrival, which is, um, you know, I mean, it's it's it, that could just simply, if there's any truth to that remark, then, you know, it, that could just simply be down to the fact that they're happy to see Ron Howard. But, but, it's unusual, you know, it's it's an unusual situation. And I do wonder what that means about how happy the crew were in the first place. So, I mean, I guess we'll probably never know unless we get another Rinsler book on the making of Han Solo, which, you know, I imagine will happen in a hurry. But um, it's it, that's a very unusual occurrence on a film set, you know. I mean, I can't, I don't know, that all these tales about not getting enough uh, setups done and what have you, That that is a, that is a worry. But at the same time, you kind of think, well, not every director is the same. I mean, when you, if you're standing on a set with Ridley Scott, like within about 15, 20 minutes of be there, being there, there'll be something in the can. You know, that's mm-hmm. a guy that likes to pump stuff out. And despite the fact that he's a really, you know, a consummate visualist and he's all about the way things look, um, he's super organized and he has an amazing team of people around him who know and anticipate what he needs all the time. And um, so he runs like clockwork and you'd be surprised at how quickly he's a two take wonder, you know, where you go bang, he's got it in the can and he just knows what he wants. He gets, you know, he prepares properly and he's able to get stuff through. So, you know, there were talk, there was talk of uh, Lord Miller kind of getting their first shots off at like, you know, around about one o'clock in the afternoon, you know, Ridley would have stuff in the can by 10 in the morning and that's not unusual, you know, and George is, you know, similar. I mean, he was fast too. Mm. I mean, I remember, I remember, you know, when George arrived on set for Revenge of the Sith, we were shooting in no time. I mean, literally he walked on set and within about half an hour there was, you know, there was movement happening and it was it was getting done, you know. And I think with a with a big movie like this, it's essential. Efficiency is essential because they need they don't just need what's on the shot list. They need more. They need additional stuff that they can kind of lose. They need other stuff that maybe they can add to a to an edit and improve the you know, what they communicate in or improve the situation or change their approach or, you know, just Paul, those options. There's but, reports yeah. from the set that on uh, the, the day that was actually their final day on set, they had right. uh, holed up in the Millennium Falcon cockpit and didn't start shooting till 1 p.m. Uh, what, what do you suppose was going on there? That is that is extremely odd. That is extremely odd. Given that you know most on a on a big budget movie like a Star Wars film, you know you'd expect people to be kind of walking into set probably six seven in the morning maybe, and then obviously everybody's got to get through hair and makeup and wardrobe and everything. So you'd expect everybody to be ready to shoot by maybe uh, you know eight nine ten depending on that. So one o'clock is like what has everybody been doing all morning? Mm-hmm. You know, and then given given the fact you know that you'll have actors turning up on set first thing in the morning, you know they they've traveled across London, which is always a bit of a nightmare, you know? And, um, so they, they may have set off at like five, six in the morning, you know, to arrive on set and be ready in time to shoot. If then it's not happening until like one, that's, that's a lot of people that aren't very happy, you know? Mm -hmm. So, or at least that's, that's, you know, what I've come to expect over the last kind of 25 plus years or whatever. So it is unusual to, you know, not get stuff in the can till, till that late. But then, I mean, who knows what the situation was on the day and it's a tough challenge. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I share your reservations, Jimmy, about, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm similarly excited and worried because Han Solo is my favorite character. So I was like, Oh, fantastic. We're finally going to get some adventures that, that, uh, 
you know, that are all about Han Solo and how cool that they found an actor that they think can embody him. And then having seen him at uh, Celebration Europe, you know, although I was, I was already kind of warm on the guy pretty quickly because I thought he was talented. But then seeing him at Celebration Europe, I thought, yeah, he's really starting to kind of kick off that vibe of he feels like Harrison back then, even though there are physical differences. He still feels like he, he's, he was bringing the essence of him somehow. He was bringing it out in himself you know so all that all that stuff excited me but then at the same time i was thinking it's going to take so much you know to be right in every department and how how are they going to achieve that how are they going to make him really feel like Ancelo? are we going to be able to watch this film and within five or ten minutes just forget the fact that it's not harrison are we going to be able to lose ourselves in the character and believe that that is han you know and and i've no doubt that that's possible but i also have no doubt that it's difficult so you know it's not surprising that they should have days where they maybe sit there and kind of go okay we need to talk this through and figure something out and it's it's perhaps sensible to be sitting in the vulcan at one o'clock in the afternoon still figuring stuff out if it's going to impact on the next you know few months shoot so you know we weren't there we don't know what was going down but uh, it's not definitely not a good sign not a good <laughs> and sign. you would think that that late in the shoot you would think that they wouldn't be having you know conversations that maybe warrant that kind of Mm-hmm. It's a time wasting, but yeah, I mean, who knows? But uh, in reading uh, Rensler's uh, Making of Empire, some yeah. of the most compelling stuff in the book happens while they're shooting on the carbon freezing chamber. Uh, and, every swearing, yeah. <laughs> and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of um, tinkering that's going on. There's a lot yeah, of yeah, yeah. Uh, experimentation that's going on and Kirshner uh-huh. getting down and dirty in the weeds with his actors sitting there going over lines of dialogue, trying mm-hmm. to work it out with them. And uh, also in Alan Arnold's book, there's some great stuff about that too. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, which, which by the way, w- w- quite possibly the greatest behind the scenes book suggestion about Star Wars, anyone has ever given me, Paul, is you insisting I read that Alan Arnold book. I just adore that book. And the behind-the-scenes photos inside that thing are incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Simply it's incredible. a wonderful book in it. It's a wonderful book. I like, I like the informality of it. There's something very kind of immediate about it. Mm-hmm. You feel like, you feel like from day to day, he's just writing about whatever he feels like writing about. Yes. You know, like. like. <laughs> <laughs> and he's disconnected from everything too. He's very disconnected yeah. from it all while still being there and having dinner with cast and crew and being privy mm-hmm. to all these amazing and now historic behind the scenes move uh, uh, meetings, you know, during the development of empire, he was there for all of that. And he was there on the set he's, and everything. Yeah. I mean, he feels like he's figuring it out as it goes along. So you're able to, too, as a reader, aren't you? Yes. You know, I mean, that's the fun of it for me. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, I mean the, the the stuff that surprises him is observations are quite sweet too, just about like you know how crazy the crew are and stuff. So it's not uncommon for a Star Wars film to have no. uh, you know downtime on the set or whatever, but it just seems like the timing with Lord and Miller um, yeah. hanging out, you know, essentially kind of locking themselves off in the cockpit mm. of the Falcon, uh, doing who knows what. Um, you know, something of it almost reeks of a passive-aggressive move to even slow down the production or something as as a form of protest. I'm not Uh, saying that that's the case, but, I mean, you know, Mm, you hear stories and you wonder. So I mean, I I remember being on set for uh, Gladiator one day for, you know, Ridley Scott's Gladiator, and, and, uh, you know, it was a huge shout. There was an enormous amount of crew. There were, were like, there was in excess of probably 150 crew members 
probably 40 or 50 vehicles on set at any one time. Um, you had like near, close to a thousand extras. So you can imagine there's a lot of people and every, every minute is money, you know, and they're on, they're on location. So that's being paid for too. And, you know, it's a hugely expensive process to make a movie, you know, when it, when you start talking about those kind of people numbers, you know, and then there's this one particular day, time was ticking by and time was ticking by and, and nobody was getting information, including the assistant directors about what was going on. And eventually it turned out that they were just having problems with a piece of camera equipment and that basically every shot for the day relied on this this piece of kind of, you know, computer controlled uh, camera equipment on a on a gimbal and they just couldn't get it to behave itself. It just wasn't working. So they just they just called call the day. They just said, like, we've we've got to we've got to let everybody go. But like, you know, that's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds, you know, just for a day where nobody does anything. So it's not it's not unheard of. But it's just, yeah, like you say, it's it does that doesn't sound like a technical thing to me. The whole kind of locking yourself away thing sounds a bit odd. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, it's. Um, don't you think? I mean, you know, it's. I do try not to to just kind of ignore a lot of the stuff that you read in the press because there is a lot of rubbish talked. I mean, I've been on the receiving end of that stuff. We just kind of think like, no, that's not at all what went down. You know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, you kind of. They've got to. It's difficult for Lucasfilm, I imagine, because they've got to keep. You know, um, they're trying to keep their privacy. They're trying to kind of keep to themselves and just get on with things. And so they can't always defend. You know what actually went on, or you know, or they don't necessarily want to share it. You know, and um, I think we kind of have to respect that, don't we? But but uh, well, there's no respect when it comes to social media and no, the internet. Really. They demand answers, and yeah, yeah, you know, you just try to get on, and do your thing, but. People, they want to attack all the time, and they demand mm. answers. They want announcements about yeah. things. It's like, I got nothing to announce. So um, uh, there's going to be more rumors coming off the set. Oh, hey, yeah. speaking mm-hmm. of which, we actually got some of our first photography. Um, well, it's not the, the first. We saw some other things, some uh, exterior uh, shooting. But this is, I believe, oh, the first interior char- shooting. Character shots and stuff. Yeah, characters, there's some sneaky character shots. Who the heck got away with that? That's what I want to know. Wouldn't they be able to figure out? Oh, yeah, I remember who was standing there that day. That was... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You know? I mean, yeah. so what happened was TMZ released a brief snippet of a video um, uh-huh. at the Han Solo uh, on the Han Solo set. I assume this is Pinewood. And uh, the guy is shooting, and it looks it looks uh, kind of um, imperial in nature, the, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. the room they go into. And, the, and then what it looks like is... They're in uh, maybe a sort of private museum, someone's collection. Uh, you know, people pointed out, mm-hmm. hey, it reminds me of the collector from Guardians of the Galaxy. And it, yes, it's kind of got that vibe. You see strange artifacts on display in glass cases as Alden Ehrenreich, and that is Woody Harrelson with him, isn't it? Mm. And, uh, yeah, it looks like it, isn't it? And uh, Amelia Clark also. Um, I'm not sure. Um, I yeah, don't think I can't any, tell. Yeah, I don't think anyone can really tell. Um mm. But, mm. uh, but, uh, so what do you, what do you think of that stuff? What do you think of the set and, uh, the, the weird items that are on display, you know, museum <laughs> style in there? What, what do you make of all yeah. that? Well, I mean, I, I, for the first thing I thought was, whoa, heavy on the, on the, uh, carbon chamber referencing, you know, like, uh, like a lot of the, a lot of the carbon chamber, uh, designs in the carbon freezing chamber designs for Bespin were very inspired by uh, like the interiors of foundries, you know, and what you, what you actually find is that 
um, in, a, in a lot of like steel foundries and what have you, you'll have molds on the floor and they'll pour the red hot molten metal into the molds. And so you'll have these little grooves that are glowing all over the floor. And a lot of a lot of the way that the, the Bespin carbon chamber looks was inspired by these, you know, interior pictures of foundries where you've got a lot of molten metal in grooves. And so they, they went for that with the lighting in in, uh, in Bespin. But it, it, it just really feels like that kind of almost like they're getting raised up from out of the carbon chamber, doesn't it? It looks like... Uh, like they're coming out of that freezing pit or something. It's, I was kind of really... thinking more along the lines of the platform that the stormtroopers come up on in docking yeah. bay, uh, you know, in the docking bay on the Death Star. Yeah, there's a bit of that. I mean, you kind of feel like they're pulling from everywhere, which they've got to, haven't they? And the window feels a little bit like the uh, the Emperor's window and stuff with a little mm-hmm. bit of a spin. So, yeah, I like it. I mean, the thing that I thought was really interesting was the te- texturally, it feels super 70s, really kitsch and kind of, you know, um, there's a little bit of sort of 70s caravan stuff going on there, you know, <laughs> like prismatic wallpaper and, and stuff oh, like yeah, that. But it, that. it looks... It looks kind of funky, but I I like it. I'd like it to have a bit of a retro vibe, you know, especially if it's a you know real mix like of the old and new. I think that really works. So, but um, it was nice to see Alden's costume and stuff like that. It feels very Han Solo, although it's different. You know, all the browns and and what have you. And uh, yeah, it, it, it looks it looks really interesting. And I, I know we I think we mentioned it off air, Jimmy, didn't we? Was it you, Jimmy, that said about there looks like the skull from the from one of the daily books from yes if if you look closely um in in some of the screen grabs and in the video where you get a better sense of the set you see these dis- these items on display and um it appears to be blue skull in one of the cases and it reminds uh-huh. me of the blue skull that's on the front cover of the brian daly han solo novel han solo and the lost legacy from the late uh-huh. 70s and uh, I, I don't know if that's a connection or not, um, if that's an Easter egg. Uh, I'd love that to be in there. I'd love that. That, that would be, be so amazing. Cool. Do you know who did the, the cover art for those Han Solo books? Yeah, it was, um, oh, what's his name? Oh, he's one of the concept guys that works for help for, uh, uh, yeah, what is his name? I'm trying to think. It's, uh, uh I've got one of his books right here. Some of the book where his name is going. I'm hitting the Wikipedia, and let's see who's yeah. going to be uh, faster to. Uh, uh, yeah, okay, I'll race you. Who's going to be the That's fastest right. here? <laughs> Get the information. I don't. I don't see any information uh, here. Oh, uh, it's. Oh, come on, where oh. are you? Where, 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 where? It's a W. Uh, oh, uh, yep. Uh, I'm nearly there. I'm nearly oh, there. Oh no, I'm going to find it before you. Wayne Barlow. Wayne. That's the guy. Good old, uh, yeah. Good old Wayne. Yep. So, Which I didn't realize till recently. I mean, he's been working as a concept guy for years for, for Guillermo del Toro. And, you know, he's, he's done lots of stuff. And I didn't realize he had his, he's had his start doing Hansello book covers. That's kind of cool. That is cool. And um, I always love that front cover with that, uh, that skull. And so yeah. that it represents it. Well, it, it looks like it at least. And then other mm. things to notice are. Um, the costumes, the wardrobe seems very mm-hmm. Star Warsy. Um, yep. Alden uh, he definitely has a little assistance at the bottom of his boots. <laughs> yeah. To uh, you know, fix the the height difference between himself and Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. Do you do you know what the difference is? Uh, Harrison's what about oh, six oh, two or so? And uh, yeah, I think Alden's about five nine, isn't he? I think so. There is there is a big difference, I think, but. Um, I mean, like a lot of people online are getting kind of hung up on all all the physical differences, you know, in terms of 
his facial appearance and his height and all that, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't care about any of that stuff. It's no. all stuff you can cheat. I mean, of like, course. let's let's just, just put things into perspective. There's no such thing as an actual space station <laughs> that fires at laser and blows up planets, but somehow we manage to believe what we're looking at. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, uh, making up the difference between a couple of inches for between Alden and, and Harrison is not a huge deal. I mean, Look at the look at what they did with the hobbits. You yeah, know? I was just thinking that. You know, um, you know let's yeah. not worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he's like him enough. I mean, you know, all these actors. Are so, I mean, fortunately, Harrison is so distinctive. It's part of his his charm is that he's got his own unique look. You know, and uh, there aren't a thousand actors out there that look like him. But um, it it is it is a common kind of like wine on the internet at the moment, isn't it? That he doesn't look enough like Harrison, and it's like I just think so many people out there would just love there to be somebody that looks just like him, even if they have no talent or you know that they don't have the same charisma and all these other things that are equally important for Solo. I think you know, I mean, when you look at the the many different actors that have played young um, indie, you know, a lot of those guys didn't really resemble Harrison, mm-hmm. you know, and yet and yet it still worked, you know. I think so anyway, don't you? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And and Lord of the Rings work too. You know, I met Sean Astin once and I, I didn't look mm-hmm. at him and say, hey man, you, you're supposed to be three and a half feet tall. You know, <laughs> you, you, obviously you suspend uh, uh-huh. and, and and you, you get into the, the film. And um, yeah. for, for the record though, Harrison is six foot one and Alden right. is five foot nine. So yeah, they, uh, I had to look uh-huh. those uh, that up. Um, but um, back to the TMZ photos. So yeah, this is the second time TMZ has released uh, shots from the yeah, side. Are they are they getting like are they intentionally getting people hired or something? Because it's it's strange that TMZ are just getting all the scoops on these things, isn't it? It's 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 odd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I and I can't believe that they got stills off set like that because it's just. I mean, if you go if you go around Pinewood now, there's like no way you can take photographs anywhere at Pinewood, and that's not just actually on the set. That's between sound stages. If you're if you're walking around, there's somebody looking at you at all times. There's there's no messing about breaking out a camera. So for me, it's like who on earth you know would get away with that. So the only the only people I can think of is like you know, cat pots pots of the camera department or wardrobe would get away with it. But uh, maybe they but, hide a little GoPro on themselves somewhere, and then someone is at a remote location yeah, maybe. shooting, filming, uh, you know, mm-hmm. grabbing you know screen grabs, all that stuff. Yeah. Seems like a, a really big risk though if it's your career. You know, if you're mm-hmm. if you're working in a department, you know, that's that's one thing. If it's if you if it's a pap or it's just some, you know, extra or something, that's that's one thing. But somebody who's actually working and it seems to me like it has to be a member of crew, you know, that took those pictures. So it's it's uh yeah, disappointing for the crew, I imagine. I'm but, digging uh Woody Harrelson's wardrobe here in this show. Yeah. He's definitely got like a flavor of Hans costume, isn't he? Same, similar holster and similar vibe. Do you think he's a Karelian? Could be. He's dressed in all black and he's wearing mm. a, a a long gray coat. Yeah. And uh, that's it. I would cosplay as that. <laughs> <laughs> I would cosplay sure. as uh, Alden with the lifts uh, and everything. Yeah, know, yeah. Go for total authenticity. <laughs> you know. Yeah. 
I can't believe we're getting a Alec Ancelo movie. It's so cool. I really, I really hope it has a flavour of the daily novels. I mean, one of the things I liked about that was the idea that it was, it was far enough out for things to be a bit different. You always got the impression that the, if there were stormtroopers out there, they'd be a bit strange. You know, they they wouldn't look like the rest of the regular stormtroopers because you're so far out. It's like the local police force is handling things. It's not always even the Empire, is it, in the dailies books? It's uh, like fringe fringe police and things like that you know yeah yeah uh, the the brown coats uh, <laughs> weren't they called something like that uh Some, before the brown like coats that. yeah like a brown armor or something like that. i can't remember yeah 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 I it's been so yeah, many years since i read them star's end and we're talking mm-hmm. about the the corporate alliance that's and, the one yeah yep. the corporate alliance and they dressed in brown and they were known as uh <laughs> Yeah. They, there was a, a nickname for them. I don't think it was brown coats. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. that's another franchise. But um, but yeah, okay. So cool stuff. Uh, looking at this uh, TMZ, you know, the floor in this environment. Uh, while you point out, yeah, it definitely has vibes of the uh, aesthetic from Cloud City's carbon freezing chamber. But it also reminds me of the floor that Vader walked across in his uh, castle. When yep. confronting uh, old Krennic there. So, I mean, mm. that could be possibly even reused. I'd have to study yeah, that a little I bit guess. more closely. But, could uh, be. Yeah. Could be. I mean, I'd, I'd like them to, to, you know, put a few nods in here. I mean, I kind of feel as though it's nice when we get stuff like uh, uh, the ghost and, uh, you know, all the various different uh, rebels nods that we had in Rogue One. I'd actually quite like to have a few uh, nods from the droid show. I'd love to see some of the characters from droids. It looked like you can laugh, but like some of it would look really cool. You know, I mean, I'd, if, if um, you know, if Thal Jobin or his racing team, if any of that lot turned up in the yeah. background of one of the races, I would just get a huge that kick would out. Be fun. They could look really cool. I mean, I wouldn't want them to be front and center and be a featured character, but it'd just be a nice, like, you know, somebody passing by in the background or um, Admiral Screed or, you know, one of the bad guys, you know, that, that could really work. Or, uh, well, uh, Kaibo Ren might cause some yeah. problems with uh, <laughs> maybe <laughs> Kylo from Kaibo yeah, yeah. to Kylo. There is seriously, mm. there is a character in Rebels. I know. In Kaibo I Ren, not Rebels, in Droids. In Droids, that's right, with a, with a uh, oh, half a Stormtrooper helmet. Yeah, it's very bad. Uh, one more uh, final observation about these... Uh, Woody meets Han and Chewie picks from the Han Solo film. Uh, mm. Chewbacca does look great, by the way. Uh, much yep. better representation of Chewie than in uh, Forces of Destiny. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that in a minute or two. Um, but Chewie, <laughs> Chewie looked weird in Forces of Destiny. I'm not, and also, <laughs> Forces of Destiny. Is, it's been a little. It's been kind of controversial. You know, people on social media are. Uh, they're they're ripping it or whatever. I I, I actually like them. I, I think they're they're really nice and fun and they're fluffy and soft. But you know they they're it's Star Wars. Yeah, there's, you know there's things I love and things I don't love. But yeah, we'll talk about that. Okay. So, but um, one thing I'm noticing as they're being lifted up here into uh, the room is that the the light fixtures resemble those that you would see on an Imperial facility. You know yeah. those those oval shaped mm. light fixtures yeah, or wall fixtures. The pills, exactly. Yep. So, mm-hmm. um, so which leads me to believe that they're hanging out in an imperial facility for sure, because yeah, we've never seen we've never seen that sort of light fixture anywhere else. However, mm. up until uh, the Force Awakens, we never saw a moisture evaporator off Tatooine, and now we're seeing them everywhere. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, anything's possible. It could be that it's it's more of a a design aesthetic that's not exclusive to the imperial military. But I don't. 
I, mm. I want I want that look to stay imperial, you know. Um, I think it will. I, I think, think it, it will. will. Too. I, I mean, I, I kind of feel as though it's, yeah, it's a real balance for them, isn't it? Because on the one hand, it's like, oh, great, we've got something really familiar. And then on the other end, you know, you don't want it to get too staid. You want it to sort of remain different. I think I think the key for me is if you look back at the original trilogy and you kind of observe how they went there, it's like, okay, well, what carries through and what doesn't? And how, you know, how much changes there between movies? And, you know, how many aliens do we get kind of continuing on? And what, what scenes do we get repeating characters? And mm-hmm. all those kind of things, you know, I think like if you look at the original trilogy, that was where that was kind of set, I think. You know, so yeah, I don't know. It's it's nice that they're bringing familiar stuff into it, and uh, I definitely, even though we've only seen a couple of leaked pictures, I'm definitely getting a, a, an early old school Star Wars kind of vibe. It feels feels like the right period to me. You know, all the all the buildings that we've seen and things like that too. You know, they have a real a real Ralph feel to them. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of kind of outside buildings that look like kind of really rusty domes with pipes sticking out of them and all that kind of thing, and and that that stuff really looks like some of Ralph's early concepts for uh, derelict parts of Bespin. You know, so that's that's quite interesting that they've they've clearly been influenced by that, but. Yeah, so, you know, um, speaking of uh, Forces of Destiny, now to mo- let's move away from Han Solo yeah. and talk <laughs> yeah. a little bit about Forces of Destiny. But I'd just like to take your temperature on it. Well, I, I kind of feel divided in that I kind of feel like it's any new Star Wars content and I'm happy that they're, they're adding to the pile, you know. So my, my feeling is great, you know, like m- more is good. And the fact that they're sort of super short is a shame, but... At the same time, so was the Gendy cartoon, and I absolutely adored that. And, you know, I feel like in large part that was, you know, one of the reasons that that the Clone Wars that, you know, we finished up with uh, came into existence. So I think this could be a nice, you know, starting point for something of more substance. But uh, they're just short, you know, they feel kind of throwaway, you know. Um, The writing's tight and simple and, you know, Uh, the stories feel kind of really sweet and it's obviously aimed at a a really young audience, you know, but my, yeah, my only reservation is that visually I'm not keen on the style. I think it's clear to me that they haven't got a lot of money for the show. And, um, you know, when I, when I compare this to, uh, do you ever see the, um, uh, the, the TIE fighter animation that that guy did? Love that. Yeah. It's very, it's done in a very anime style. Yeah. But if you look at that, you know, that's clearly just kind of a a passion project done by a fan. And it's, I think he's gradually expanded it over the last kind of couple of years and stuff. So now it's about eight minutes long, but that's, that's a one man job and it's incredibly complex, very busy, really interesting and super, super rich animation, you know, and that's just a fan project. Now this is a, uh, you know, is an official project that's been put out, the animation's incredibly simple, and uh, and uh, it feels like kind of flash animation from the early two thousands. It feels like something that you know, like one of the Mister Bean cartoons or something like that. Really, really thick outlines, really, really simple character designs. Everything's very linear. You know, none of the animation is particularly complex. You know, but uh, but then I don't want to knock it for that because you know they're doing what they can do with the budget that they have. It's just that. Um, you know, I don't know. It, it's tricky because it's it's going to be held up there against things like Clone Wars and Rebels, which clearly are operating on a different level. They're much longer. They're much more complex. They've got a big team working on it, and it's a real sort of serious project. Whereas these, you know, they do feel like um, commercials. That's what they feel like to me. But um, but I like them, and they they've got potential. There's there's stuff about them that that's fun. I mean, it's really nice to see some, you know, see Leia in a cartoon. It's, it's really fun to, to go back to Endor and, 
you know, and it's nice to see all these characters to getting a chance to to shine in their own little mm-hmm. segment. You know, I just think that with it being two minutes long, it's just like one of those things where you just, I think, you know, I finish watching it and I, I kind of always feel like, is that it? Yeah. You know? Yeah, because so, it, it's it's not, light on substance. Not really a criticism. It's more like, I like it. I just yeah. don't want it to be a bit more and a little bit. A little bit flasher would be nice, you know, that's all. I just, so. I, I got to be honest with you. I expected a little bit more considering the talent, the voice talent involved in this. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's very simple and it, it sticks with me about as long as some of the Lego specials do. Um, however, I have kind of been dipping my toe into those free maker adventures a little more lately. And I, oh, they're great. I, I, like I, I, I enjoy those very much. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, for the most part, like the Yoda Chronicles and stuff that, that all happens and you know, it, it's fun and everything. And I like watching it, but it yeah. just doesn't stick to me. It doesn't stick to my ribs. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, like, uh, you know, some episodes of rebels or, Mm-hmm. A lot of episodes of the Clone Wars did, but I do like it. I like the fact that it's a vehicle that is designed to bring young fans into Star Wars, specifically young girl fans. Yeah. Um, you know, um, mm-hmm. I, I like that. Uh, I uh, and and also with with the the line of merchandise that's tied into it, it, it mm-hmm. gets young fans into collecting star Wars, which I always consider to be something that's very special and walks hand in hand with my fandom. And, uh, I just Mm. get the, I, I don't know how younger fans approach collecting anymore. I, uh, you know, uh, there's, Mm. there's, everything is online now, it seems, you know, and if it's not online, then nobody has time for it anymore. And, and I, I hate to think of star Wars collecting, not living on <laughs> because uh, I don't think they've got to worry about that. <laughs> well, yeah, yes, you know? yes and no. I mean, it's, it's, it's way different now than it was even say five years ago. In what way, Jimmy? What do you mean? Star Wars collecting, um, specifically mm. the action figures, you know, it just, oh, just all like availability and stuff. Availability, right, right. uh, lack of variety. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, Man, I've got to take to Forbidden Planet London, dude. There's no shortage of variety. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff. But you, you well, mean like, yeah, well, I mean, that's a specialty store, of course. I mean, you know, I'm talking uh-huh. about the right. the big box stores, you know, used to be. So I used, to, I used yeah. to go hunting for action figures, and this would be year-round. And it was something yeah, yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed doing with my kids, too. Mm. Um, haven't had the, those experiences for, gosh, a few years now. Um, yeah. and, and I don't know why that that's all been changing as it has, but it has. And so anything that kind of lights a little fire and, and mm. provides a spark for younger boys and girls to collect. I, yeah, I think that's yeah, yeah. a good thing. I think, I think the most, one of the most lovely, I mean, there are, there are a constant, there's a constant stream of beautiful images of fans, you know, on the internet, you know, doing different stuff. And it always, you know, warms my heart to see people, kind of embracing the wars and especially younger kids kind of coming through and really, really getting into it. That makes me really happy to see that, that it's still relevant to, to little kids today and that they, they can be getting the same things from it that we did as kids. And one of my favorite photographs is, um, was it David Collins niece that was looking at the poster of Ray? Do you remember that? It was a little, just a poster of her looking at, and she was clearly just exiting a theater and just got her eyes got locked onto a picture of Ray and BB eight. And she obviously just couldn't take her eyes off it. She was just like fixed on it. She got this little kind of six or seven year old, just totally, you know, in love with this character, you know, and I think that's, that's fantastic. So 
I agree. Anything that brings, you know, the next generation of kids into it is, has got to be a good thing for the life of Star Wars. Yeah. And, uh, because when my be- kids were little, the, 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 there were avenues for them to get into it. And unfortunately, yeah. those avenues were robot chicken, family <laughs> yeah. guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, my kids were mm. little watching Family Guy. And I go to my wife. I'm like, I don't think they should be watching this. It, well, it's Star <laughs> Wars. It's okay because it's Star Wars. I'm like, I don't know. You should, yeah, you should really. listen to what they're doing here. You know? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it was just, you know. Mm. Uh, and and also I I know there's I'm not condemning either of those things I you know they're they're good for a laugh and stuff but I mean really that was kind of the focus of where Star Wars was heading when my kids were little was it was just parody after parody and then they, yeah, George yeah. Lucas was developing a parody series with Seth mm. Green and you know it was just it it, it, it was not exactly the door uh-huh. i wanted my kids to walk through to get turned on to star wars the whole no. the whole luke i'm your father uh reveal and i listen i know that that's not the exact line from the film so don't get on my case <laughs> <laughs> but the whole i am your father reveal and yeah. empire was spoiled for my youngest son dylan because of robot chicken that's and crazy yeah so i i'd much rather see young fans being brought into star wars mm. via something like forces of destiny which is despite that awful chewbacca <laughs> that, <laughs> what is that chewbacca number one the character is nothing like the chewy we know uh, number two no, no. he's got those big he's got you know <laughs> big furry arms with the big black hands with what is that that, that... Uh, i'll tell you what it is jimmy it's canon no, it's, it is. Not. <laughs> it's canon, you know. It's canon. It's canon. Well, Chewie, see, Chewie had a wumper cuddle. See, <laughs> <laughs> but see, it's it um, happens. It's uh, okay. Uh, Star Wars, a company. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just, you know, trying to to get into like why, you know, what is the purpose of this micro series? I hope uh-huh. it is to sort of put their their foot in the water to see. You know, hey, is, is it possible to really mm. build a successful series out of something like this? Like you said, the yeah. Gendy mm-hmm. Tartakovsky Clone Wars series basically opened the door for the big one that came from George and Dave Filoni and, and that crew mm-hmm. at Lucas Animation. But I mean, like, what? So, what's what's Forces of Destiny's deal? And is it canon? That's the other question. Now, I know I've been seeing a lot of stuff online. And so, like, people are, are going after, uh, you know, Leland Chi and Pablo Hidalgo on Twitter, of course, you know, demanding answers. Yeah. They want all these announcements. Made. And, uh, you know, I, I, the guys are, are handling it as best they can, I, I believe. But when they make these announcements, you know, do, did they say when they announced Forces of Destiny, did they, did they make a big deal? Yeah, these are canon. I'm, I'm actually looking. Yeah, here it is. Here it is. Developed by Lucasfilm Animation, Star Wars Forces of Destiny will remain true to the Star Wars canon. So that doesn't necessarily say this stuff is canon. Mm-hmm. Does it when they when it says it'll no, remain true to the Star Wars? Canon. <laughs> I mean, I, I I'm I leave my, I'm left feeling very confused anyway. Jimmy is, which will come as no surprise. But but like, you know, the number of times that I'm on the net and I'll be kind of knocking something as not being canon, and then I'll be like, you know, somebody from the story group or somebody somewhere will kind of like give me a major put down and kind of go, no, it's canon. You know, mm-hmm. don't be so stupid. And then the next minute it'll be like. 
I'll be, I'll be knocking something as 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 uh, you know for whatever reason, and, and they'll be saying, "Don't take it all so seriously. It's not all canon, you know." And you just think, "Oh God!" Wow. You know, like like one minute is, the next minute's not. Right. You know, and it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, but it's like okay. Who cares anyway? Can't... I mean, who well, cares? These, yeah, these little the story... stories are just so they're, they're they're just so fluffy and everything. You know, they they who cares? Yeah. If, if they're canon, exactly. they're canon. If they're not, they're not because it doesn't affect yeah. anything. There's well, nothing of consequence in these little. Little shorts that could affect uh, the saga on a whole. So. I know. I, I think like Wookiees getting cuddled by Wumpers. That's that's pretty hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> Before you know it, it's going to be turned up in one of the movies. I'm telling you, man. Now, now, now they've established that that's normal. You know, oh, no. there'll be there'll be a special special edition of Empire, and you know, there'll be the Wumper in the corner getting a cuddle. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my! I, like I mean, I, I I've been saying for a long time that it would be nice to see a 2D um, Star Wars show, but this isn't quite what I had in mind um, mm-hmm. visually, but subjectively it is, you know. And and I don't mind that it's aimed at a younger audience, and I think it's really cool that it's aimed at a female audience in particular, um, you know. And that that doesn't stop me from enjoying it. I can you know I can dig this. I like it. I mean, I is my favorite character in Clone Wars, so I don't you know. I don't care whether the, the main character is male or female. Mm-hmm. I'm all for it. And there's, it's time that they balanced the books and did some shows that were all yeah, a bit girl-centric. I think that's a good idea. But the um, but the thing for me is just all about its execution. I think I think that it's well-written, and I think they managed to pull off a lot in two minutes. Yes. You know, there's not a lot of room. So it's quite amazing that they managed to sort of squeeze a story into such a short period of time. Um, and I, I think it's, it, it's great if this is a, just a smart uh, way of testing the water but you know i would like to see something longer and it sounds like that haven't they greenlit a, a series jimmy off the back of this i'm hearing that there's something coming down the pipe that's a bit longer i think there might be Ooh, i don't know like, about that now, yeah, now i'm hearing there, be like longer apps but there will be a two-part tv special uh, right. firing up in the fall featuring eight additional shorts mm. and that'll be on disney channel mm. Maybe that's all it is, but I heard, I, yeah, I heard rumours that it was gonna probably gonna lead something a bit longer. But I think, uh, you know, I always wanted to see something that was a bit, you know, the reason why I thought two D was a good idea was because obviously when you're working on a three D program like Clone Wars and and Rebels, it's all about you know what assets do we have and the construction of assets, as in you know characters, vehicles, places, is time consuming and expensive. Whereas in two D, you know, it doesn't matter if you saw that planet last week or or not because it's going to be probably going to be a new drawing and uh, you know, and and uh, you know. Uh, a, a giant city with a thousand buildings is going to be probably going to take them the same amount of time to sort out as a, as a snowfield, you know? <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, they, they can go to a lot more places and they can do a lot more stuff, you yeah, know, yeah. You can, from one episode to the next, you can be on Endor or Hoth or as we've seen. So I, I, if they could go somewhere in a similar way, that if they could leap about and, and do something that was more of a, you know, tales of Star Wars, you know, where they jump around like this, I think that would be a fantastic idea for a show. And I think this, you know, hints at that, you know, but uh, it just needs to have a bit more meat on its bones for me to get really excited about it as a grown-up. Yeah. yeah. Just kind of look at it and think like, yeah, if this was like another, you know, 10 minutes longer, I could get into this, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I would prefer a more complex style. I think the style yes. is a little, a little rudimentary for me to really, you know, go I'm, crazy about I'm it. with you on that. I'd always wondered... In uh, Return of the Jedi, why did Leia have to change her clothes when she arrived at the Ewok village? And yeah. and this story fills in the blank there of you know when she met up with with Wicked and and then when she uh, made it to the 
the village and they gave her the address, but it still doesn't explain why she had to change. There's no yeah. explanation for I, that. I always thought, like, you know, when they, when they show up, nobody goes like, well, we've been looking for you. We thought we, you were dead. Yeah. Like, where were you? You've what's, been messing about with teddy bears, putting dresses on. Yeah, what, what's, like, what's with the what? what's with the clothes? Yeah, you know, she's a <laughs> soldier. She's she's a soldier on a mission for a rebellion, uh-huh. and she has to do a wardrobe change. And I so I thought, you know, maybe they'd have her like rip her shirt or something, and oh, mm-hmm. crap, or spill like you know mustard on it. And, uh, and she, <laughs> oh no! And they go, well, oh wait, like- we got we just happen to have your size right here. I think we're going to get another special edition of Jedi where we get to see the plaiting scene, aren't we? Where the little Ewoks are plaiting her hair because there's no way, no way she did that. There's no way she did that on her own. No, a plaster right, back. Yeah. It was, long, you know? Jeez, you know, <laughs> they're they're dodging bullets from stormtroopers and stuff. Meanwhile, it's a spa day for Leia and the Ewoks. <laughs> but uh, but you know what? I think all in all, these the it's it, it's it's a nice show. Like I said, if, yeah, if, it's if cute. It provides. <laughs> If it provides a launching pad for a, a young kid's Star Wars mm. fandom, if, mm. they, if they look at something like this and say, wow, yeah. you know, I, I, want, I want to have more to do with this kind of thing, you know, I, I think and that's great. You can't underestimate that either. I remember I've, I had a conversation with Alan Moore back in the 80s, mm-hmm. you know, the, the writer. Yeah, I remember ch- chatting to him years ago and he was talking about like the impact of, of uh, silly things on your life, you know, and. And, you know, in Hollywood, you get a lot of this kind of, you know, um, you know, it's quite commonplace for, for actors to take themselves a little bit too seriously. And you just think, dude, you're just an actor. Get over yourself. You know, like, like you're not really saving lives, you know. But at the same time, I think there is there is, um, you know, movies and TV, they, they play a big part in people's lives, too. You know, even though it's not life saving, I think that, you know, it can it can have a big impact on people emotionally and psychologically and it can change your life. I mean, we're all good examples of the, you know, how much Star was impacted on us, you know, as, as people, you know, the, the folks we know, the life that we, that we lead and, and everything is all, you know, in large part due to, to Star Wars and its effect on us, you know? And, um, I remember this chat with Alan Moore and, and he was saying, look, you know, he's under no delusions. He's just a guy that writes comic books, but he was saying, but at the same time, you know, there were, were awful, like, you know, singles or awful records out that really, really impacted on him as a kid, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and had made a huge difference to his life. So it's not necessarily about, um, you know, how, how big and expensive a thing is or how significant it is in, in the big picture. It's, you know, these little things can have a big impact on, on, on little kids. And, and so who knows, maybe this will be some kids' favorite Star Wars, you know? Sure. Absolutely. Could be, and it could be the start for for somebody. I mean, it's bound to be, really. Yep, it it could open mm. the door to uh, a much larger world. <laughs> so uh, I I, uh, I I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. And if people are complaining mm. online about it, I mean, yeah. you know, I, get a life, guy. You know, because yeah. I mean, this is there's plenty of Star Wars to go around for everyone, mm-hmm. old, young, man, woman, boy, girl. Now, come on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Um, more so, is good. Also, um, we, we were referencing the TIE Fighter, uh, the, the short that ended up on YouTube, very oh, yeah, yeah. anime influence. So if, if mm-hmm. you guys listening haven't been able to check that one out, you can uh, just do a search of TIE Fighter short film on YouTube by Oda King 77077, mm-hmm. O-T-A King 77077. Yeah. So I yeah, some- check it out. 
That guy from Sheffield, I was amazed. I thought he was he was probably working in the anime industry, but it's just some bloke from up north. Mm, yeah, it's just a hobbyist. <laughs> he said he, yeah. he spent four years of working weekends and uh, yeah. developing uh, this cool animation. So yeah, definitely worth checking out. And then of course, other people have taken it and added all sort of different sound effects and music to it. And there's mm. many different versions online, but the original was called Tie Fighter short film by Oda King seventy seven oh seventy seven. And uh, what would you like to what would you like to see as an animated show, Jimmy? Have you, is there anything that you just think like, oh, that'd be amazing? Wow. Um, Sorry, I would I like, well, I'd like, I'd like to see the period immediately following. Return of the Jedi. Yeah, that'd be my prime pick too. You know, so. watching uh, Rogue Squadron go out and round up the remnants of the Empire, um, fighting warlords, uh, because that way you re- you know, and then also exploring Luke's relationship to the Force, uh, mm. perhaps communicating with Obi Wan. Of course, I want to see that in the Last Jedi too, um, mm. <laughs> most notably. Um, but yeah, that's the period I think. And that was the period I was really excited about when the expanded universe launched in the early nineties, they picked it up five years after the end of return of the Jedi with Mm -hmm. Heir to the empire. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and so even then I was like, well, wait a second, you're leaving all these (laughs) five years (laughs) uncovered, but then they started, you know, filling in that blank with, um, Novels like Truce at Bakura and uh, the, mm-hmm. the X-Wing series, etc. But yeah. um, but I think just following the events immediately after Return of the Jedi. Yeah, and, me uh, too. And, and, and picking it up from I, there. I've often felt like, because whenever I feel about that, it's, I've always thought, oh, it'd be amazing if we had like a CG movie that was set in that time period and the characters really felt like the original cast and get the original cast to do the voices and all that would be amazing. And I, but I always picture it in my head. It always starts out with the rebels on Endor, you know, but then I always think just, you know, out of it, pick up straight after Jedi and just, you know, fill in all the gaps. But for me, I, when I think about a, a, like a TV show, I just think, I, I wonder how long they'd have to spend on Endor. They'd have to leave pretty quickly. Wouldn't they? Or it would get dull faster. <laughs> Yeah, well, of course. You know, like, it would turn into Ewoks, wouldn't it, if we weren't careful? Well, you know, um, obviously the Empire was spread all over the galaxy, and they had deep roots in certain places, so word gets around mm. that the Death Star blew up. You would think that mm. a lot of uh, Imperial fleets would then... But didn't, didn't Palpatine summon everyone to the Death Star, you know, his entire fleet? I don't know. Uh, you know, he, he there. Well, there has to be, and they've they've covered this in books and stuff. You know, rogue right. warlords and, mm-hmm. and you know people who have been isolated from the news. They don't even know that the emperor's right, dead right. and the death. So to them, it's just business as usual. And uh, this is all coming up in Battlefront too, isn't it? It's all about to get a little bit. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. And I want to get on board with Battlefront two the day oh, it comes out because uh, the first Battlefront. Too. I, I followed along with the development of it and everything, mm. but I, I never really had the gameplay experience with it that I wanted. I, uh-huh. I think my, my kids uh, watched me play for about five minutes, and then uh, mm-hmm. my uh, my uh, home video game privileges were permanently suspended. <laughs> I was, really? Uh, I was hey, you know, told I was all thumbs, and I had to uh, oh, leave. Oh, I thought you were home. Were you hogging it or something well, like that? You know, you know? I, maybe that you know that's probably the ulterior motive. But they wanted uh-huh. to, they wanted to hurt my feelings too when they stripped the controller from my hand and they just said I wasn't good enough 
I said, oh. well, how am I going to get good enough unless I get... But yeah. the problem with it is there's no single-player mode. I know. That turns me off, too. It turns I, me I, off. I, because I, with I, other players on the field, they don't know you're some noob who's never held the controller yeah. before, and they just keep <laughs> wasting you. You never yeah, get a yeah, chance yeah. to learn. So... Uh-huh. Who has the time anyway? I mean, I, I kind of feel like it, it's been an odd one for me because I, I, I was watching the development of the new Battlefront very closely because I adored the old Battlefront games and played the, played the heck out of them. And, um, but I was very definitely a kind of like drop in for an hour and then, you know, be done with it. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't a campaign guy. I was definitely kind of like little single player adventures, you know, just yep. going and shoot things and get out. Um, so that that's that's my style. I don't really want to do some big complex, you know, team player thing. I just want to look at the environment. Really, I mean, to be honest, half the time I'd be happy to just drop into Endor and walk around. <laughs> you know, sure. it'd just be cool to be able to do that. But yeah, just uh, poke around it, it, a little, yeah, you know. And and what I've seen of of the new uh, version of Theed and stuff, it looks amazing. The environment looks so so enormous. And um, I was chat, chatting with uh, Mark Cabana, who's one of the guys who designed the the original um, Theed for for. Uh, for Phantom Menace and and uh, pointing out new stuff to him and kind of saying, did you design that street mark? And and uh, we're having fun exploring the differences between the the movie design and the game design. But they've done a really amazing job of expanding some of those environments into something like 100% real. I mean, wow, it looks like you can literally run around a, set, a city that's as big as Venice, you know, just playing stormtroopers. I mean, how cool is that? That was one of the but, most amazing miniature sets. I think that's yeah. ever been created for a film. Yeah, 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 yeah. Massive, and, and they really build on it for this. I mean, it's mm-hmm. super complex. But, but, um, but yeah. I mean, so I was, you know, I'd, I'd say I was front and center in terms of interest. You know, looking at it, I was just kind of thinking, this looks amazing. Um, and you know, I've done a ton of design for VR, and I've done a lot of game design. I'm working on a game design now. You know, so the whole all that aspect of it just really, really intrigues and and uh, interests me. You know, as a Star Wars nut. But then, you know, as soon as I kind of got a glimpse of what it was like to actually play it, I was like, I'm not going to enjoy that. I just literally just want to run around. I want it to be easy. I want to zap things. I'm not interested in having a challenge. You know, I kind of feel like my work is challenging enough. You know, <laughs> so when I'm when I'm cutting loose, I don't want it to be difficult. I just want it to be a bit of fun. You yeah. know, and um, so I'm glad that they're going off in that direction for for number two because it sounds like they're, they're going to do lots of single player adventures and. Uh, keep it simple for for folks don't aren't they i think there's a lot of people complained about that weren't there jimmy yeah i think so too i think so too Mm. um and then Mm. one other thing i wanted to bring up before we have to bail is uh very excited for uh, a film coming out in a couple of weeks and we've talked about this uh the the source material for this film on star wars influences in the in the Mm -hmm. past and its influence on star wars i'm talking about Valerian, which was based yeah, yeah, yeah. on the the old uh, French comic uh-huh. book, and uh, yeah, yeah. in the mm-hmm. past, Paul, you've joined us uh, on this show, yeah. and you've pointed out all the various uh, similarities and influences it had mm-hmm. on the original Star Wars films. So, uh, what do yeah, you think now that it's finally being made into a, a motion picture, and we're going to see it? On the silver I can't. Screen, yeah. I can't wait. There are there's there's some stuff that feels like just you know just as I've always pictured it, and there's other things where I'm like, oh, that's a weird bit of casting. But the 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 early talk is that you know it, it's if you didn't like Fifth Element, you're probably not going to like it because it's got a very similar kind of vibe in terms of it being. Um, 
it, it's not interested in being kind of like a mainstream Western movie. It's very French. It's very its own thing, you know, but that it's super rich, super visual, and that your eyeballs will be totally entertained. So, uh, you know, you're not going to go into this movie looking for great plotting and great characterization. You're just going to go into this to have your eyes fed. But it, it sounds like the the density of visual effects in this movie and the richness of of design is just off the chart. There's thousands of different aliens and environments and vehicles and you know. So I think people, if you're a Star Wars fan, I think you'll get a big kick out of it visually, if nothing else. You know. Yeah. So the the previews I've seen of it looks great. Mm, it should be a lot of fun. I mean, the the one thing I've been telling people that aren't familiar with books is that uh, what to what to expect is 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 um, big changes between every movie because if they manage to make a success of the first one every film will be very different from the last because the books are very different from each other um you know a lot of the time they'll, they'll pick on one thing to sort of uh focus on so one might be you know there's there's one story that has an orient express vibe that's set in you know paris at the turn of the century there's there's one that's got kind of got quite an adventure you know across uh, the mediterranean kind of uh, you know, kind of um, almost a spy feel to it. Mm-hmm. And then there are other ones that, are, you know, they've almost got a superhero feel. And, you know, so it, it just kind of depends on the story they want to tell. And I think, like, in large part, Mezier, who, who uh, you know, created the uh, Valerian, he, he's very much about, um, you know, just kind of keeping it interesting. But I think in cinema terms, it's unusual because usually you kind of like a lot of what you saw last time, please you know, with a few extra, you know, flourishes, but, but with the Valerian books that they, they literally can be totally different apart from the main two characters. It's a bit like Doctor Who, really, if you want to look at it that way, you know, you've sure, you know, you start out somewhere familiar, you know, in the TARDIS or whatever, but, but the story could be set in any period in any place. So, you know, that's, that's what to expect if we get more of these, but I'm, yeah, I'm optimistic. I hope, I hope they make a series of them because I know, I know uh, best one would like to, I know he'd like to make a heap of them because he's been a fan since he was a kid. And I, I think if they said to him, you've got the money to make 12, mm-hmm. I think he'd do that. So now did he, that. Luke Beeson, did he, do the fifth element who did that he did yeah, oh, yeah and it, okay there you go it was it was largely inspired by valerian you know mm. like in a lot, a lot of ways and and in fact mezier who works as concept designer on that you know obviously was was the main guy in valerian and he said why why are you making fifth element why not make valerian <laughs> <laughs> you know? so he's like well i didn't think i could do that <laughs> you know? well, so uh here we are yeah. now, 18 years yeah. later or whatever mm. so uh if, if you want to hear Go ahead, Paul. Sorry, I'm just wondering how much they're going to stick to the book because if they do, it will be strange because this is um, uh, City of a, a Thousand Planets is uh, is essentially based on uh, Empire of a Thousand Planets and, and that is the book where you get um, Valerian encased in a substance that looks like carbonite with his hands sticking out. You get well, one of the villains of the piece taking his helmet off and he turns out to be a nice guy and he's just burned and... You know, this is the one with all the really, really similar elements in it from from Star Wars. So if they keep them in there, it's going to seem really odd to some people. You know, be like, wait, what? You know? Oh yeah, this is a Star Wars ripoff. They'll be yelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, no, no, this is a Star Wars influence. And if you want to hear Paul Bateman talk more about the Valerian effect on Star Wars, look up Star Wars influences episode number two, which was like four years ago and we talked about it yeah we talked about it in depth i think we uh, need to do this more often dude (laughs) (laughs) don't we talk about quality over quantity eh? (laughs) yes yes well you know it's summertime yeah yeah well we're both busy we're both busy um so what a great discussion it was so nice to get caught up with you paul and uh, i hope everything's going well for you in london you're having a great summer over there 
Sure am. You know, um, we we haven't spoken at all, really, about The Last Jedi. And uh, things have been kind of quiet off that set, outside of Adam Driver just saying that uh, Mm. it's uh, it's going to be uh, very different. Um, uh, yeah, what does that mean? We, we, yeah, we, it means weird is probably what it means. Um, but, uh, well, you know, maybe, um, mm. you know, uh, I know that, uh, Ryan Johnson, just from my, uh, limited experience with his work, most notably Looper, uh, mm. Looper's kind of weird. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but what, what Adam says uh, specifically is that Johnson created new rules and we've, we've sort of been hearing mm. this new rules, you know, all the new rules, which is fair. I think it's mm. fine to make star Wars evolve. Um, yeah. but I just well, don't I want, so you know, when I hear new rules, mm. there's another word that jumps into my head too. And that's contradiction. And I don't want anything, you know, uh, contradicting. Yeah. And, and that's what, you know, got Jason all fired up about when uh, the new Darth Vader uh, series was released from Marvel. Mm. And, mm. Uh, you know, it was yeah. like, he thought it was a retelling of the sequence <laughs> when, uh, you know, the, the yeah. Darth Frankenstein moment from Revenge of the Sith. And he, he believed that that was a canon don't you think this is, I mean, what, talk about a sign of the times, you know, like, like, I mean, you know, I'm starting to feel a little bit of ageism out there now and again, yeah, Jimmy, you know, know, where people knock you and, uh, you know, that's not cool any more than any other kind of, of ism. So pack it up, right? You know, but, but I mean, I would say that what's funny about it is that, uh, you know, the, the, the um, you know, when when you consider what you know, how much we embrace things back in the seventies and eighties, in terms of like, all right, Green Rabbit, fine, no problem. You know, um, well, okay. I, nobody said Green Rabbit, fine, no problem. Even as an well, eight year old, I looked at that and I said, <laughs> what the hell is this? Yeah, but we didn't go like like you're breaking with canon. You know, we didn't we didn't start sulking about Never stuff like that. Did I assume? That those Marvel stories were etched in stone. <laughs> well, you either liked it or you just didn't say anything, didn't you? Now it's just like everybody just can't wait to complain. It's like, oh, get over it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm excited to see where it goes. But um, it's going to be pretty freaky when they find out that Earth's in it at the end. It's going to be really, you know. <laughs> Can you imagine? Earth shows up in the eleventh act to be like, what the. Well, that that'd be a new rule, right? Yeah, that would be a new rule. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, then, yeah. Or or maybe we'll I don't see. know what would be what would be a rule that would be broken that would be interesting. I mean, I suppose it's got to be force related, right? It's got to be something. It's got to be. It's mm. got to be. It, it's it's mm. probably the force user's connection to the light side versus the dark side, and how uh-huh. that relationship actually works in reality one thing i know for certain is that the jedi we were introduced to in the prequels were definitely flawed and they yeah, were yeah, yeah. and 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 as a result they became arrogant they um they relied too much on past history and they set themselves too many absolutes for the jedi order and we all mm. know that you know the absolute way of thinking is something that's a trait of the Sith, and mm. um, and it's also the trait of a twelve-year-old. But you know, <laughs> re- no. But seriously, it's it's like I think we're going to see that sort of dissolve. The whole right. good guy, mm-hmm. bad guy. You know, it's going to be um, individuals' relationship to the Force, mm-hmm. and 
how the force guides them. I think that's something that's going to be explored. I think we're going to. I think we're going to find out the midichlorians look like little kind of blue pixies, and they they can actually climb out of your body, and they're going to feature as quite prominent <laughs> characters in the next. Now that would be a rule. <laughs> that would be break, <laughs> definitely breaking the like, rules. Like there. space Smurfs or something. Space Smurfs. You know. Oh boy, oh boy, Paul. I think you're you're too close to Pinewood. We're gonna have to extract yeah. you from your location. Because uh if you get over oh. there and start uh talking like this, uh, we're in big trouble. But well, but I don't I, I don't yeah, imagine I mean, any mini mini chlorians. I think when they talk about um when when Adam says uh, specifically he said mm. this. Um he said uh Ryan created new rules for the Star Wars universe and balanced the familiar and unfamiliar very adeptly while respecting that his audience can handle ambiguity. Yeah. So that's basically, you know, as, as he tries to further uh, explain what he means by that. Um, creating new rules for the Star Wars universe but while still respecting what's already been in place. Um, yes, I think that it, it will come down to the force specifically and how, yeah. how the mm. force re- user uses the force, you know, dipping into the dark side. I mean, is there a dark side? That's the, yeah. that's the thing. Is that's there a dark question. side? So mm. is, you know, is there a light side? Uh, the, the, obviously I had always taken a great, amount of comfort in the fact that the line was so firmly drawn in the sand as mm. far as uh Jedi versus Sith but I get the feeling as the force expands in this new era of Star Wars that uh you know there is going to be no Jedi and it is going to be the individual yeah. the individual as opposed mm. to the organization it's interesting that there are fans out there who really just aren't into Jedi. You know, they just don't like don't like the idea. There are fans out there that that I've, I've encountered where just they really just don't like that aspect of Star Wars. You know, because when you think about how much the Jedi featured in the original Star Wars, I mean, not not a lot. You know, obviously they were they were significant and they were important in as much as you know Obi Wan and and uh, Han, and um, Yoda. Luke's role in the movie in Yodi, yeah, but but uh, in, in terms of actual, you know, screen time for Jedi, there's quite, there wasn't a lot of it, you know, and 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 now it's be, kind of become, you know, the Jedi's movie in a lot of respects, you know, or at least up until the Force Awakens, that was true, you know. So it's um it's going to be interesting to see where they go and how 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 much Jedi can kind of take a back burner because if. If um if Luke's walking away from that, and if and and uh, you know if if any character that follows in his footsteps, whether it's Ray or anybody else, you know, you just kind of think like, you know, how much can they kind of because they don't they don't really as much as there's a lot of talk of, you know about you know the ring theory of Star Wars and all these other you know ideas about the cyclical nature of of Star Wars kind of storytelling. I don't think we really want the same story for a third time. We want something that feels really, really different. And I think that's going to require a change that's quite significant, you know, and maybe, maybe it's time for the Jedi to be, to be done in Star Wars to a certain extent. And I'm sure that there are people out there screaming right now, kind of going, what are you talking about? I mean, insane. Mm. But, um, you know, for me, I, you know, I could continue to enjoy Star Wars without Jedi in it, or at least, you know, without being front and center all the time. I mean, look at Rogue One. You know? Well, the thing is, is that when we were introduced to the concept of the Jedi in the original trilogy, it was a mm-hmm. long lost 
uh, yeah. practice. Uh, the Jedi were gone, and, and with the the eradication of the Jedi, this this terrible evil empire grew and uh, oppressed the entire galaxy. So you always thought to yourself, mm-hmm. "Well, my God, we really need the Jedi back, don't we?" Yeah. But then we mm-hmm. see the prequels, and we realize that the Jedi were kind of part of the problem, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so mm-hmm. now, um, post post Return of the Jedi, and and that title alone, Return of the Jedi, it's so celebratory, it's so triumphant. The mm-hmm. Jedi are back to save the galaxy. But then here mm-hmm. we learn in this new era of Star Wars, some thirty years after Return of the Jedi, that the Jedi uh, returning to the galaxy might have had a counter effect. And so thus Luke is having the revelation Mm. and the realization that he can't continue. He can Mm. pass on what he's learned, but the, the organization of the Jedi themselves is something Mm. that is flawed and fragile and probably shouldn't be reestablished. Luke learned the hard way. And I would love to eventually see that or learn about how Luke let it all sort of slip through his fingers. Yeah, yeah. Do you think we'll ever? Do you think we'll ever get to hear like what's been going on with Luke for the last, you know, thirty years? I think we'll get to that. I would like to, but when Adam Driver brings up the word ambiguity, mm. I, don't, I don't think I don't think much of that's going to be very much revealed. Mm. But you know, I mean, it would have to be it, it, just naturally. You'd have to mm. be getting updates on Luke in in the Last Jedi. I mean, there's going yeah. to be some reveals. <laughs> there has to be reveals about mm. what he's been doing during those times in his self imposed exile. So, yeah, you would think. You would think. I th- I think it's um, going forward. I'm going to be interested to to sort of find. You know, find out about anything else that's significant in terms of changes because I think Star Wars depends on that. I think it, if it's going to stay relevant and interesting to us, they've got they've got to take some serious twists and turns. And I think we need it. We need a few surprises when it comes to the Force. I mean, maybe maybe there are things that are accomplishable with the Force that we don't know about. You know, maybe it's. Uh, I mean, as long as Star Wars maintains its uniqueness, that's the main thing. It has to not not follow the crowd, you know. Um, I think it needs to not feel like Guardians of the Galaxy or Star Trek or anything like that. It needs to carry on feeling like Star Wars. And I don't think that's just about the way it looks. I think in large part it's about, you know, where it goes and where it doesn't go. You know, I'd uh, I'd be good if they started playing around with time travel or anything like that. I think that would be a bad idea, you know. Yeah. Um, but And I don't think they would go there, do you, No. I think. No, no, please, no, no time travel, please, no, please, no. But uh, all right, well, Paul, you know, I, I'm, I'm like you. I'm not going to sit here and wring my hands over things I'm hearing. I'm not even repeating things that I hear anymore. Mm. You know, mm. it's just like whatever. Yeah. I learned a lot from the whole Rogue One experience last year. Let mm, me tell you, me too. I learned a lot. So uh, I'm not adding any fuel to the fire. I'm uh, mm. being very optimistic about all these things going on in the Star Wars universe, and that is where my fandom is most comfortable is in its optimism because i think star wars itself is a naturally optimistic thing the Mm. the whole process surrounding star wars so i think fandom needs to also be positive and optimistic as definitely uh, we've got a lot of reasons to be positive and optimistic in any way i mean i just can't believe that right now you know We've we've got both episode eight and the Han Solo movie, you know, in development and uh, almost ready to get released on the world. It's just a, it's just a wonderful time to be a Star Wars fan, and it's just so exciting. I, I would just go crazy if they 
throwing a lot of nods on the hand sailor front. I really want them to go there. You know, I'd like I'd like a bit of that. And it's almost it's a shame that Delhi's not around to write a bit of dialogue, isn't it? It would yeah. be great to to hear him sort of do a bit of that. You know. Oh, he was uh, one of the best. One of the best mm. at capturing the Han Solo uh, vocabulary and uh, cadence and every you know just putting words in his mouth. But I, I don't think we're mm. we're in in bad company with uh, Lawrence Kasdan and Son. Right. <laughs> I mean, I wonder how how many of these we might get if the first ones are hit. You know, do you think we might get three of them? Of the Han Solos? Yeah, I always felt yeah. like there was a possibility of that. Much like with the Marvel model, how, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they, they release their big Avengers movies that gather uh, the whole team together. But then you have the mm-hmm. Iron Man movie is spun off into its own trilogy. Uh, yeah. Captain America is uh, definitely uh, heading in that. Oh, it, that was a trilogy, too. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so, um, so yeah, I, I would see if the Han Solo movie is, is successful, both... We know the box office will be there, but critically, mm. critically accepted, and by mm. fans and non-fans alike. Yeah, that that will be the the real thing that determines whether or not this has legs to stand on its own and 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 maintain its own trilogy. I think, Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, there's definitely an appetite for it, and I think it's very telling that this is the second one down the pipe. You know, we've had Rogue One, and now it's Han Solo, and obviously Rogue One had John Knoll as its main, you know, uh, proponent and advocate, you know, and all that. But for Han Solo, I think it's probably just because the character is so well-loved. I mean, we've all been recipients of questionnaires from Lucasfilm and what have you over the years saying, what's your favourite character? What's your favourite this? What's your favourite that? What do you like? You know, what do you not like? And um, I'm sure that there were a huge number of fans who were, you know, Han Solo, Han Solo, Han Solo, or uh, Boba Fett, Boba Fett, Boba Fett. So for me, I think... um, Although this is um, the second, uh, you know, anthology movie to, to kind of come out, or story, story of movie to come out, this is really the first one that's that's involved, you know, original era characters played by somebody different. So I think they've got different challenges, but you know, in fact, probably larger challenges than they had with Rogue One, because I mean, you know, the biggest the biggest challenge they had there was that these are all new characters apart from Vader and Tarkin, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but with this one, it's like. Making the old new, you know, that's uh, that's, that's something yeah. altogether different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've I've got faith, and 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 I th- I think uh, I've got a good feeling about this guy. I just I just something about him, and and I you know when in previous times that they've tried to bring Han Solo into various different stories like uh, Clone Wars, you know, and they were talking about bringing him in as a kid. I was dead against it. I was like, no, don't go there. I don't I don't want to see Han Solo as a kid because my my experience personally is is that. I know for a fact that when I was an 11 year old kid, I wouldn't have been in the slightest bit interested in 11 year old Han Solo. Like, not at all. And as an adult, I'm even less so. Yeah. So, so for me, it was like, you know, like, it's, I think it's a common mistake to assume that kids want to see shows about kids. Yes. I, I think I wasn't in the slightest bit interested in things about kids as a kid. I was interested in cool adults, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and yet that seems to be forgotten about all the time. It's like, well, look, if this is something that's not right for adults, then the kids are going to love it. And that's not really the way it works. Right. You know, so I think if, if, if they get, if they get this right, this, this is the way to do it. I think is, is like, you know, young enough to be able to kind of do a, a kind of a reboot or, you know, um, or at least, a you know, a refresh, but, but not so young as it, it suddenly kind of 
it, it seems odd, you know, like, I mean, because what we've learned so far from, um, you know, rebooting characters as children with Boba Fett and Anakin is it's actually quite challenging. Love it or hate it, it is a challenge to get used to the fact that this nice little kid or this quirky little kid is a character that you knew, knew and loved as an adult, you know, and um, for me, I think that would have been a mistake for Han. And I think they're doing the, the right thing, bringing him in now. I'm wondering what age they're going to say he is. Because I know, I know that he's not that much younger than uh, Harrison was when he did the first Star Wars, but I suspect they'll say he's at least 10 years younger than he was Yeah. by then. I think that's what they're going to say, at least, because then they can kind of at least squeeze in, you know, adventures across 10 years, couldn't they? Oh, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And, and so we'll find out in a mere 155... No, I'm sorry. We'll find out in a mere 317 days, as yes. long as they stick to that May 25th, 2018 release date. And oh, uh, I, I, can't see him, I can't see him doing that. Can you? You, you can't. Well, no, uh, well, really. it depends on how much they, mm. how much material they have in the can that is suitable for for release in this film. I've heard that when they put together yeah. a, a, an edit of the Han Solo, young Han Solo film, uh, certain mm. sequences play out really well. But on a whole, the thing is a haphazard patchwork of a film, and it, so bring in Ron Howard, and he can smooth out the wrinkles. Mm. And mm-hmm. if he can do that, you know, I, I think that it's it's likely that it will stick to the May 25th date. Yeah. Um, you'd have to imagine that uh, changes in directors doesn't mean anything about the it doesn't affect the action sequences that have been in place, the, the mm-hmm. special effects sequences. You know, I think everything is just moving along on all that stuff. The problem mm-hmm. was was on the set and now they just need those pieces to 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 glue the film together i'm mm-hmm. hoping that that is and that's the best case scenario at this point so as far as keeping on track with that may 25th 2018 date yeah but, i just don't think it's, i just don't think the date's their priority you know i think i think doing something good that will pay out for three movies is their priority. i hope so but, you know i also think like the thing i'd add to to your comment there jimmy is that, that you know in my experience it's been that that uh, oh my god we've got a disaster on our hands kind of like feeling of of uh, watching a first cut is normal for almost every movie made by somebody who's any good. I mean the number of directors who said that their 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 least favorite time is the first cut when they look at they look at the what they've pulled together and, and what they shot and all that. And that that is a time when ninety percent of directors will kind of go. I'm a talentless hack. I've got no idea what I'm doing. What the hell have we got? Why did I focus on that instead uh-huh, of this? And uh-huh. where's that? And it's just a major, major disaster. And then, and then, you know, a few weeks later, once I've had a chance to tweak and noodle, they're like, I'm a genius and I didn't know it. Yeah, right, I, had no, right. I had no idea that I had that, you know? Yeah, just and, iron um, out the wrinkles and the fabric yeah, and it'll so all work out. It's, it's a very tumultuous kind of process and it involves a lot of, you know, neuroticism <laughs> <laughs> with almost every director. It's like, well, we're doomed. We're and doomed. Like, you know, we'll so. never make it. We're doomed. Hey, Paul, <laughs> it has been so great to get caught up with you. We, we covered a lot of ground here. The Han Solo film. <laughs> Uh, the forces of destiny. Um, gosh, even the last Jedi, and then back to the Han Solo film. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, a lot of good stuff covered here on this uh, episode of Star Wars Influences. Um, looking forward to getting your review of Valerian, and uh, we'll I, hook I up. In, we'll hook up in uh, about a month from now and uh, get caught up with you again. I'm sure uh, by that point in time, we'll have a trailer. Um, if, if a trailer should drop this weekend at D23, 
Uh, the goal is is to get uh, you, me, and Swank together, and uh, maybe a few other of our friends if uh, if we mm. can uh, pull it off and uh, do a, a review of the trailer. And uh, it's, everyone it's, is look everyone is pointing at a, a panel happening this Saturday at ten thirty a.m. Mm. Pacific. Uh, focusing on the new live-action films coming from Disney Studios. And most people of, will believe that uh, there will be a, a trailer released at that time. I'd almost be as happy um, with a, one of these behind-the-scenes reels as, as, as I would be with a trailer, you know, because they seem to have made a habit of dropping those too. So, you know. Yes, yes. If that, if that um, happens, I, mean, I haven't been clocking the, the times or anything. That, that stuff's been happening, but... Either way, you know, I mean, I, in fact, I think I almost enjoy the behind-the-scenes stuff more than the trailer because it's usually a bit longer, you know, so quite like yeah, that, you know. Just... This is true, and but, uh, you know, and sometimes you get a good look at some of the characters that aren't really featured that much in the film, like the background characters yeah, of, yeah, of yeah. Jetta City were featured mm. a lot in the San Diego Comic-Con behind-the-scenes mm. uh, reel that they showed there. Um, looking at uh, the Rogue, uh, Rogue One trailer for the first full-length trailer for Rogue One. That was released... Uh, when was that sucker released? Gosh. Um, because they released the teaser early in spring of last year. Mm. Then wow. they released the full trailer in August. August 11th. Mm-hmm. 2016. So we're in that window. Right. And... So- and, be. and with all the stuff going on at Lucasfilm with the Han Solo film and the, the, mm-hmm. the controversy behind the scenes there, um, you'd think that Lucasfilm is really chomping at the bit to release this trailer. And if there wasn't a D23 coming mm-hmm. up, they probably would have already released the trailer. But yeah. uh, but no, they're, they're waiting for the big Disney uh, uh, whoop-de-doo. And uh, that's happening they, this weekend. But they're they're clearly doing something, aren't they? Because Ryan's there, so you know, yeah. there's definitely something going to come through the park, whether it's that or the, you know, like we say, behind the scenes thing. It's one or the other. I'm putting know. my money on a trailer, the, the first full trailer that we're going to see for the Last Jedi. Uh, we we got the teaser in April, mm. and uh, so did I, you guys get hold of the the uh, Vanity Fair? By the way, the, the old kind of Vanity Fair with all the pictures and all that. I don't know if I have a physical copy of the magazine. Mm-hmm. I saw all the photos online and everything. I like all the uh, all the kind of the stuck-up denizens. They look cool. All the, all the posh, you know, they look like they're ready for Ascot or something. Yeah, yeah. All right, buddy. Well, thank right. you so much, Paul. This has been a great, uh, great uh, time getting caught up with you. And, always fun, uh, too. Always fun, always fun. And uh, for our listening audience... Uh, I'd really uh, like you guys to jump on board with uh, Rebel Force Radio on Patreon. You jump on board, get all access, and you'll never miss an episode of our bonus content. We have shows that are exclusively available on Patreon, RFR Rush Hour, RFR Rewind, and RFR Q&A. Plus, we're doing giveaways, early access to RFR events, and much more. Just simply go to patreon.com slash rebelforceradio and join our community. 
Also, uh, support our sponsor, Tops, and the Star Wars Card Trader app. Get your app today and uh, do some some card trading with us here at Rebel Force Radio. We're always uh, trading uh, 24-7, 365 days a year. Send us an email, show at rebelforceradio.com. If you have something you want to say about this episode of Influences, be sure to put Influences in the subject line, and I'll pass it along to Paul Bateman. Leave us a voicemail, 708-320-1737. That's 708-320-1RFR. And uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And visit our official website, rebelforceradio.com, for the latest episodes, news, merchandise, Rebel Force Radio t-shirts, and much more. iTunes is always a great place to go and subscribe to Rebel Force Radio so you don't miss an episode of Star Wars Influences or the weekly RFR. And be sure to review Rebel Force Radio. All right, Paul. Just one thing. Mm -hmm. Just one thing. Go ahead. Make it good. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, you can find Rebel Force Radio, WGN Plus, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, (laughs) and just about anywhere you find podcasts. You know, stuff, always, you know what always freaks me out about this this end bit is always like, imagine saying this to yourself 30 years ago. You'd be like, what the <laughs> f*** is SoundCloud, Twitcher, <laughs> Twitter? I'd be like, what? What? It'd be like, goobly bloobly, doodly gleedly gleedly. Oh, geez, even voicemail would be like, <laughs> what the hell is that, you know? What the f*** is a voicemail? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Paul, thank Mm. you so much. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jimmy Mack, and remember... The Force will be with you, always. Always.